Can you believe that here, Jesus is asking the Father for forgiveness for those guilty of executing him? Welcome to In Grace with Jim Scudder, Jr. He is the senior pastor of Quentin Road Baptist Church in Lake Zurich, Illinois, as well as the author of Why Life Hurts and co-author of Evangelism Made Simple. Today on In Grace, we are going to be continuing our series, The Story of Jesus. And I think there's nothing greater that we should study, and that is the life of Jesus and his ministry and, and what he did and what he said, even as we are today going to be talking about him on the cross. At the end of my message today that we're going to play for you, you're going to hear that Jesus says, Father, forgive them. I don't think I would be thinking those thoughts, but Jesus did. And that's how we should be. We should be forgiving. We're going to talk about his agonizing death. And, and it's not something that's going to be like power of positive thinking today. This is not a Joel Olstein message. <laughs> this is going to be a biblical message, a message that talks about what he did and how the sky grew dark and, and how the whole earth was just mourning the death of the creator. How did we put him on the cross? You say, well, I didn't. Actually, you did. I did because it was our sin that nailed him to the cross that kept him there because he loves you. So we're going to go through that and more today here on In Grace as we are talking about the agonizing death of our dear Savior, Jesus. Let me also remind you that we have a very exciting Mike Pompeo event coming up at the Quinton Road Baptist Church, and we're in Lake Zurich, Illinois. We're a northwest suburb of Chicago, and a lot of you live in the Chicago area, Milwaukee. You live in Wisconsin or Illinois or Indiana, Michigan, Iowa. That It's something I would suggest that you drive to. It's this coming Sunday, March 12th, and for those of you that do live too far, let me encourage you to watch live at our 11 a.m. Sunday morning service. That's Central Time. And you'll be able to hear what he has to say and also hear me interview him for In Grace. And then also we're going to be broadcasting that later, so you can look forward to that. To find out more information on the Mike Pompeo event, let me have you go to our In Grace website, ingraceradio.com, ingraceradio.com, and there you'll find information on the event. It's free. It doesn't require a ticket. You just come. But if you want to meet him, we do have a VIP breakfast. There may be tickets left for that. That would be before that. So we'd love to have you come, or for sure, we'd love to have you watch Mike Pompeo coming to the Quentin Road Baptist Church. Have you ever had the opportunity to be somewhere in the middle of the day when it should be the brightest and it is growing dark? It is growing dark. And then suddenly it's almost midnight. But you know it's not midnight. You know it's noon. That happens sometimes when you have a storm coming in and you can get this eerie sense, right? Like something's really, really wrong when it's getting darker and darker and darker, but it's still the middle of the day. The most profound experience that I've had along those lines 
was during a full solar eclipse. And we were able to position ourselves. We were doing an in-grace program about the solar eclipse. And I just wasn't quite prepared for that. I've never experienced a full solar eclipse. Because as long as you have even a sliver of light, it's dark, but it's not dark. And everything seems fairly normal. But then as soon as the earth creates that full shadow, uh, the moon of the shadow on the earth, at that very moment of totality, it's like somebody turned the light off. And I just got that foreboding sense, that eerie sense of this is really, really wrong. But at the same time, it's really, really amazing. Dogs started to bark. Animals didn't know what to do. And it was that way for a few minutes. And then just that teeny little sliver of the sun came back out and suddenly things seemed to be better. We're going to talk about such an event that happened, but this wasn't an eclipse. This wasn't a thunderstorm. This was the death of the creator of the universe. And when he, Jesus, was becoming sin for us, the earth grew dark from 12 noon until 3 p.m. What a foreboding sense people must have had that experienced that moment. We have come to the climax of the story of Jesus coming to redeem the world. He has done great things. He came just as predicted. He healed people. He taught incredible things. He was the kind of person that all of us should be in every way. But yet, the circumstances had led up to a terrible, terrible moment when he was put onto a cross at a place called Calvary. And he was nailed to that piece of wood that he had created, the nails he had created, the elements, the metals for, the people driving those nails into his hands and feet he created, and he was dying for them at that very moment. We're coming to, in the story of Jesus, his agonizing death. And often we think of his death being agonizing physically, and it certainly was, but we have no concept to how agonizing his death was for us spiritually. That he became sin to the point where God the Father had to turn his face away from God the Son. I've listed out the order of crucifixion events, and I've come up with a list. Now, some of these you can combine, some of these you can break apart. But basically, we come to 17 different things that happened on that day of Jesus' crucifixion. Number one, he arrives at Golgotha. Remember, Golgotha is the same word as Calvary in a different language. Calvary and Golgotha both mean the place of the skull. And there is a place in Israel that a limestone escarpment 
looks like a skull even today, but pictures from 100 years ago, it really looks like a skull. And I have the feeling, I have the sense that that was Calvary. In John chapter 19, verse 17, and, and when you look at the Gospels, and that's what we've been doing in this study, we've been looking at all four Gospels to try to understand Jesus' life chronologically, and the best we can, we're putting all these things in the order that we think they happen. But here, arriving at this place, arriving at this moment, was preordained. That he would be there at this moment, at this time, it was also preordained that these things would happen to him. And all the Gospels talk about this where, you know, some of the stories of Jesus, one will write about it, or two or three, on these, uh, the, the Garden of Gethsemane, the arrests, the trials, and, and the crucifixion and the resurrection, they're all writing about it. So you can find so much information about this day in your Bible. Jesus arrives at Calvary, John 19 says in verse 17, he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull. Now remember, we learned last time that they compelled someone to carry the cross at least some of the way for Jesus because he couldn't do it anymore. But they arrive, and there were two others with him that were gonna be crucified. They arrived at this place. This was the place that the Romans would conduct their, uh, their crucifixions. They were brutal people, Crucifixion was a brutal form of execution. They made it very public because they wanted to make sure everybody understood this is what happens to you if you do this. Roman citizens were not allowed to be crucified. This was reserved for the debase, for those they thought less than Roman. Of course, Jesus fit within the category because he wasn't Roman. He was Jewish just as the Bible said that the Jewish people would bless the whole world. The next time you go and, and speak to someone with Jewish ancestry, thank them for giving us our Messiah. Love them, help them, do whatever you can to show your support to them because Jesus took all of our sin on that cross of Calvary. And there he arrived at Golgotha, at Calvary, where they crucified him. We can't even comprehend what that means, what those words are, of what is about to happen. This was going to be a public crucifixion. They were going to make sure it was done in a public place. And by the way, what's called Gordon's Calvary or the Garden Tomb today, to me, it fits this criteria very, very well because we know Jesus would have to die outside the city, and this was certainly outside the ancient city of Jerusalem, and it would be in a place that was public. The Damascus Gate is right there. The road to Damascus went straight north uh, from that place, and so that would be a logical place, and today we're going to see passers-by were mocking him. Uh, this would be a route. This would be a road, and I can just picture all of that fitting within the context of the land even today. When was this crucifixion? When did it start? In Mark chapter 15, in verse 25, Mark tells us that it was the third hour. 
and they crucified him. So what's the third hour? Well, the Jews would count time. They would start counting at sunrise. So let's say 6 a.m. So then if Mark is using Jewish reckoning, which he was, then this would be the third hour would be what? If he starts at 6 o'clock, 1, 2, 3 would make it 9 o'clock, okay? So Jesus had been early, 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 early in the morning, taken to Pilate at sunrise. That three-hour window would have been time for the trial with Pilate, Herod back to Pilate, mocking him, scourging him, him walking to Calvary. Now he's there. Now they're nailing him to the cross. Now they're putting him up, hanging on a tree at 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock. And so... Maybe you'll remember in John, John 19, when we were talking about John's account of Jesus at Pilate, John said that it was the sixth hour, okay, that Jesus started the trial. So John's reckoning wouldn't be Jewish reckoning, it would be Roman reckoning, which started at midnight, like we do. You start at midnight, you restart it at noon. And so the sixth hour in the book of John would be six in the morning. That's when he appeared to Pilate. That's when it would have been sunrise. And now Mark, and actually Matthew, Mark, and Luke all use Jewish reckoning. Just so you understand, as you study your Bible, you're going to maybe be confused by that. Why did John say sixth hour at Pilate's trial? And then it's the third hour later at the crucifixion. It doesn't always make sense. Well, that's why, okay? It's just the way that different groups of people would uh, tell time. And we actually do that today, don't we? Uh, people do, use different calendars. People use, um, sometimes we call it military time, but many people use that 24 hours all the time. Anyways, just so you understand that, the crucifixion started at nine in the morning and it went from then all the way to just before sunset. You're listening to In Grace with Jim Scudder Jr., how old is the earth? Did Noah's flood really happen? If you're wrestling with the answers to these questions, look no further than InGrace's exciting video series, A Walk Through Creation, where Jim Scudder walks through the amazing Creation Museum in Northern Kentucky with answers in Genesis founder, Ken Ham. Together, they discuss how modern science actually backs up truths found in scripture. This incredible series will be yours as a thank you for a gift of any amount to InGrace. And when your gift is $35 or more, you will also receive two more video series, a tour of Noah's Ark with Bodie Hodge and Dinosaurs That Destroy Evolution. Don't miss out on this exclusive opportunity to gain a deeper understanding of the young earth creation perspective. To get this limited time offer, call now, 800-78-GRACE, or order on our secure website, ingraceradio.com. You can also write to us at InGrace, P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. Now, why is it important that they offer Jesus this drink because, once again, it was the fulfillment of prophecy. We've seen this over and over, but especially we're seeing it ramping up in this last day of Jesus' life. In Psalm 69, verse 21, it says, They gave me also gall for my meat, for my food, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Isn't that incredible? Hundreds of years before Jesus came into the world, this was predicted, and that's exactly what happened there as he was being crucified. 
they offered him vinegar and gall. The fourth thing that I've noticed as I went through these gospel accounts of Jesus' death is a sign was placed on the cross of Jesus. And this really had to miff the Jewish religious leaders that wanted Jesus dead. For it says in John 19, 19, and Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. So remember, this was a public place. People were passing by. They were looking. And on Jesus' cross above him were these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, written in three languages. Oh, they were upset about that. It says in verse 20 of John 19, this title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Then said, and Hebrew, by the way, would have been Aramaic. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, write not king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. <laughs> you know, it's funny that I would have just said, just take it down. Just take it down. But they said, no, no, no. Don't write that he is the king of the Jews. Write that he said he was the king of the Jews. And I love, this is the only thing I liked about Pilate here in this whole story. The guy was, pardon my word, a moron, okay? Pilate had a chance. He three times said he was innocent, but he still convicted him to die by crucifixion. But here Pilate answered them, what I have written, I have written. Go away. The last two words I added. So there it was, because he was and is the king of the Jews. Number five, Jesus was crucified between two criminals. Two people that deserved this execution were next to him. In Mark 15, 27, it says, and, and with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. I think it's important that Jesus was in the middle, right? Right? Um, if he wasn't in the middle, it would kind of mess up our three crosses and the taller one. Is, no. But the, the fact is, he is the center. He is everything. And then you have two thieves, two convicts, two uh, malefactors that are hanging just like he is, but he has the sign, the king of the Jews. And then that's going to come into the story later that they were there. And by the way, do you know that fulfills a prophecy in Isaiah 53, verse 12. And that's exactly what Mark says in Mark 15, 28. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Again, that's in Isaiah 53, 12. The sixth thing I've noticed about the agonizing death of Jesus, the events that transpired from him arriving at Golgotha to him dying, is this. The soldiers gambled for Jesus' clothes. Look at John 19. It says in verse 23, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. Have you ever wondered why would they do this? Why would they be gambling? Why would they be parting his clothes? In verse 24, they said therefore among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, 
whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled. Okay, now I know why they're doing it. Because it had been predicted hundreds of years ahead of time that those people that were doing this were going to gamble for his clothes. This is incredible. And that prophecy, it's in Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. if you want to look that up, says, they parted my garment among them, and for my vesture did they cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Did they understand that they were fulfilling ancient Jewish prophecy? I'm certain that they didn't. Why were they wanting his clothes? Well, maybe some of his clothes were in good condition and they just wanted them. I think it's more along these lines. Jesus was famous. Jesus was a miracle worker and everybody knew that. And just like today, you'll pay a lot of money for some stinky basketball uniform that someone famous wore. I've seen people go crazy when LeBron James threw his sweaty shirt and it hit him in the face and they're like, ah, right? Because it's, it's, you have something that someone famous has worn and potentially there's some money in that too. I don't know exactly why they did this, but it was predicted and that to me is just, just incredible how the Bible comes through every time. Exactly as predicted. The seventh thing is rather astounding, and that is found in Luke 23. In Luke 23, it says in verse 34, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you believe that here Jesus is asking the Father for forgiveness for those guilty of executing him? the type of person Jesus was, while on the cross, he's asking, so on the cross, you and I would be complaining, we would be, you know, it'd just be, we'd be in agony, we wouldn't be thinking about anybody but ourselves, and it's probably okay because it's so horrible. But what was Jesus doing? Here and in other places, we're gonna see Jesus was showing compassion even on those that were doing such a heinous thing to him. Has anyone ever tried to crucify you literally? And yet you won't forgive them for whatever small thing or medium thing or large thing they did. Jesus was willing to forgive those that were crucifying him. That puts, it, that puts us in a place, doesn't it? That puts us in a certain spot. We better think about that. We'll continue to talk about Jesus' death, and we covered seven of the things that Jesus did on the cross, and we have 10 more to discuss tomorrow. And so many things happen as he went to the cross, and he was offered vinegar and gall, and a sign was placed on the cross, and he died between two criminals. His clothes were gambled for. So many of these things were predicted, but to have him say, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Jesus is a God of forgiveness, and he wants to forgive you of all your sins. He has actually already paid for your sins, and if you'll put your trust in him, you'll be saved. Now, let me remind you that we have a really great man coming to our church, Mike Pompeo, Quentin Road Baptist Church, 
this coming Sunday, March 12th. And many of you live too far to come to this event. We're in the Chicago area. So we'd encourage you to watch it live this Sunday at 11 o'clock Central Time. But you can also come, and we invite you to come, hear Mike Pompeo, the 70th Secretary of State at the Quinton Road Baptist Church, Lake Zurich, Illinois. You can find out more information on ingraceradio.com. And then also we have a brand new offer right now. It's a walk through creation with Ken Ham. Ken Ham's a friend of mine. He took us on a tour of his museum. And for a gift of any amount, we're going to thank you by sending you this exciting two-part video series. Don't forget to get the video series, A Walk Through Creation with Ken Ham, for your gift of any amount. When your gift is $35 or more, you will also receive two more video series, a tour of Noah's Ark and dinosaurs that destroy evolution. Don't miss out on this exclusive opportunity. Call now, 800-78-GRACE. Go to our secure website, ingraceradio.com, or write to us at Ingrace P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois. 60047. Thank you for joining us on In Grace Radio with Jim Scudder Jr. In Grace is a member of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. Our goal is to share the light of Jesus to a darkening world, helping you find hope, gain purpose, and be a light. You can be that light today by joining our mission to spread the gospel around the world. Just call us, 800-78-GRACE, or go online, ingraceradio.com. You can also write to us at InGrace, P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. Tune in tomorrow as we continue to explore God's Word and His world on InGrace Radio. Radio.